You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. So who smells what Sarah smells? I can't smell a thing. What's, what's the problem with me? Uh, but I can tell you this, we have some serious good food. So Cheryl Argenbright, where are you? How, how much meat did you smoke with and sauces? Talk to me a little bit, because people are smelling stuff that I can't smell. 40 pounds of? Pulled pork. Maple bourbon sauce. Can you smell it now? Just fake it. No, I mean, that's some serious stuff. We have a new family, actually two families at Westwind right now who are traveling nurse families. And one of the families, uh, Brian, just said, hey, I love to cook. I'm a chef by trade. How can I help? So Brian went over with Ellen and Cheryl, and he spent a day smoking and cooking and pulling. We're going to eat some of that. So thank you for that. And then a ton of other fixings. And by the way, I did the shopping for the prizes. I'm not into cheesy prizes, okay? So we have a real dessert contest. I saw some goodies out there. And not only real desserts, but real prizes. You know, sometimes you get like cheesy prizes? Not with Keith. Good prizes, all right? You know that new ice cream parlor here on University? What's it called? We got gift certificate. You didn't? Oh, you're the judges. That's right. Yeah, that would be cheating. Okay. All right. So, if you have your Bibles, please let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, We've been walking through this beautiful book, The Model Church, right? Uh, An example to all of us, and certainly in the first century, quite a remarkable church. Uh, Paul doesn't talk about many model churches. The Thessalonian church was one. So we titled this series, for those of you who are guests, When God Builds a Church, and we see God's hand all over this church. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, towards the end, 17 through 20, we did a mini-series, and we're going to tag team with it this morning, Disappointment with God. If you weren't here last week, you haven't listened to that, I think it'd be worth going back. Why? Because there's a lot of disappointment in all our lives, including me, right? We all have expectations in life, and sometimes when they're not realized, we feel disappointed. Sometimes we even maybe get angry, shake our fist at God, and so forth. So that's just a really important topic. And so this morning, part two of that But this past week, I had one of the most inspirational conversations with a gentleman um, that I've had in a while. Um, And he went through what I would call probably one of the most difficult or dark experiences that a man, father, husband could experience. What happened was his wife got cancer uh, earlier this year, and it took her life rapidly. She passed away in April after 19 years of marriage and a handful of children. And so we talked and we processed that. And of course, I'm thinking about, boy, this, this idea of being disappointed with God and the hurts and pains and, and struggle. Uh, I wonder what would happen if that kind of hurt knocked on my door, if I lost my dear wife of 33 years to cancer almost overnight. And so we talked. 
and he shared his heart. And he says, Keith, you know, I, I sense God sustaining not only me, but my kids. Yeah, there's good days, there's bad days, there's a lot of tears. But as we talked about this morning, God is our strength. He is our rock. He is our sure foundation. And then he said, not only is God sustaining us uh, through this, he's decided to use it to see his kingdom come. And he shared that he serves in a counseling ministry where he lives. And two of the men in his counseling ministry saw him walk through these dark days of losing a spouse of 19 years, being a widower now with a handful of kids, leaning into it, trusting God. Two of the men he had been working with came to genuine faith in Christ and got baptized. And he says, Keith, I don't understand how it all works, but I can tell you this. God is using this crisis that we've experienced for his kingdom and glory, and I say hallelujah. Long time ago, I read this statement, and I want to share it with you, see what you think. God allows what he hates, cancer, death, to accomplish what he loves, the salvation of sinners. God allows what he hates, cancer, death, to accomplish what he loves, the salvation of souls. I believe that. I don't understand it all, and I'm not going to give simple answers to complex questions, but when a gentleman loses his wife after 19 years and now has five children to raise on his own and leans into it by the power and strength of God and sees God use him to bring salvation to broken men that he had been working with for quite some time. That's a God story. And so what I thought to do before we dive into our text this morning is share with you what I believe to be three biblical values of pain and suffering that jump off the pages of Scripture. So I want to start there. I want to encourage you, if you have your Connect card, let's... Uh, Let's take notes, because again, there's so many folks that you and I have the privilege to minister that are dealing with uh, disappointment. So value number one, pain communicates. And what do I mean by that? Think about this gentleman's life. His life was communicating something. He is going through the darkest days you could imagine, but then he goes into his ministry setting, his counseling setting, and his life was speaking volumes to these broken men. It communicates. Pain always communicates. That's why C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. The question is, are we listening are responding. God spoke volumes to those two men in this counseling center through this broken man's life. Pain communicates. It's God's megaphone. Let me show you that from the book of Ecclesiastes. And by the way, as we turn the corner in January, we're going to go through the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm curious this morning as we prepare for that study, how many of you have gone through a study in Ecclesiastes? Let me raise your hand. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. That's about as far as I can count. So at least four. It's cinco, right? Seis, siete, 
What's eight? Ocho? What's nine? Nino? No? Teno? Eleven O? Forget it O. All right, that was dumb O. All right, so <laughs> Ecclesiastes uh, 7. Uh, 13 through 14, really important concept. I can't wait, really, to go through Ecclesiastes. What a relevant book for our time. Solomon says this, consider the work of God. So that's important, right out of the gate. He wants you to consider what God is doing at points in time in your life and mine, in history. Then he says, for who can straighten out what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, right? That's easy. Yeah, when things are going well, we're good, God. But notice, there's contrast. But in the day of adversity, do what? One word. Please hear me. Consider God has made the one as well as the other. That's sovereignty, right? There's days of prosperity. There's days of adversity. There's the good days. There's the difficult days. There's the days where it's just beautiful and sunshiny like this. And then there's tumultuous rainstorms where hurricanes and loss of life. There's good and bad. And we need to consider during those times what God is doing. That's the encouragement. The word consider literally means to inspect. And so how do you do that? When you inspect something, and ironically, this word is used when Moses was looking at the burning bush. Same word. All of a sudden, this bush is on fire and it's not being consumed. And so he stopped, he slowed down, he considered, what's going on here? There's a burning bush. And next thing you know, it starts talking to him. Consider, reflect, pay attention to what God is doing. Job, he got it. Chapter 42, 5 through 6. And again, why would God give us such a book from uh, antiquity, probably the first book uh, written in the Old Testament, uh, 42 chapters of processing pain and loss and sorrow and trials. Here is a concluding reality in Job's life after he considered everything he went through, losing his children, his health, his livelihood, his everything Here's what he considered. And he's talking to the Lord. He said, I heard rumors about you. In other words, he knew about this God, Yahweh, Jehovah, right? But now, through the pain trial, through the suffering, through the considering and reflecting, my eyes have seen you. That's powerful. There was a transformation in Job's life. I knew about you. I had ideas of who you were. Now I know you personally. My eyes have seen you firsthand. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good in the midst of the pain. Therefore, Job says, I take back my words and I repent in dust and ashes. He recalibrated. He considered great things in the midst of trial and pain. Therefore, may I encourage all of us, the next time life gets difficult and pain knocks on each of our door, open the door. Let the pain come in. Slow down, reflect, notice the burning bush and what is God speaking? He spoke to Job. He spoke to this dear gentleman and his loss of his, his wife. 
He ministered the gospel to two broken men in a counseling center. Consider what God's doing. He communicates. It's God's megaphone. Secondly, value number two, pain corrects. Pain corrects. Track with me. Physical pain tells us something's wrong, right? When was the last time you had a toothache? When you have a toothache, something's wrong, right? It could be decay or abscess or just need a filling, and you call Connor Elmet, say, I hate it. I don't like coming to the dentist, but guess what? Pain is, is there, and I need to correct. And so what do we do? If we don't feel the pain or hurts, we would not know we were sick, and therefore we would not pursue a solution. Now, folks, we live in a society that experiences all kinds of pain. Physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual. We are pain ridden. Why? It's Genesis 3. Sin has entered the world, sin brings death. And it's real, it's empirical. We feel it, we sense it, it's all around us. However, what does the world do? Instead of letting the pain be corrective, Instead of letting the pain communicate and change us, people try to cover up their pain with all kinds of substitutes, right? We live in an anesthetized culture, drugs, alcohol, pornography, extramarital relationships, and the list goes on and on. And then when we're broken inside, there's resentment, bitterness, hatred, anger, and fighting. All the things that Galatians says, don't do that. Live the fruits of the Spirit. That's how we deal with our pain. Instead of letting God take the pain and make the correction and adjustment he wants. King David understood pain. A lot of the Psalms were written by the king, and he went through a lot of trials. He gives us a few pictures. Psalm 119, 67 through 68, David writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Think about that. Before I experienced discipline, uh, correction, hurt, pain, affliction, I went astray. In other words, David's saying, I welcome affliction. Why? It keeps me on the straight and narrow. But now I keep your word, you are good, and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. In Psalm 119.71, it was good for me to be afflicted. It was good for me to experience God's discipline, suffering, struggle. Yes, because it corrects so that I could learn your statutes. David leaned into that, as we all should. So pain communicates Pain corrects, but I love this last one, value number three. Pain converts. How many people in the Bible and throughout history, when they hit rock bottom, please hear me, discovered that Jesus is the rock at the bottom? Walk through the Bible, and that's what you'll see, folks. John chapter 4, there's a woman at the well, has a divine encounter with Jesus, and guess what? You have five husbands. One broken relationship after another. Wow, I perceive you're a prophet. She comes to genuine faith in Christ and influences her village in Samaria for Jesus. Her brokenness led her to conversion. How about Nicodemus? Here's a Pharisee, right? Comes to Jesus at night. Religion wasn't getting it done. 
Judaism didn't cut it. And he comes to the Messiah, hey, are you the one? Well, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. How can I do that? It's mysterious. And then we have this beautiful truth for God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that whoever believes in his son, Jesus, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Nicodemus came to genuine faith in Christ out of religion. Religion's broken. That's the biblical message. Conversion. How about the thief on the cross? Can you imagine in your final hours, here you are, you're hanging there. Jesus, remember me when you enter paradise. Jesus turns to him and says, today you'll be with me in heaven. Friends, that's remarkable. That's conversion. 40 years ago, my disillusionment with life, having no answers, meaning, or purpose, allowed me to hit rock bottom and discover that Christ was the rock at the bottom. What a gift. What a blessing. So God uses pain and suffering to convince us that life is empty without him. He will use the hardship of life to draw you to himself. And friends, that is a gift. Going back to Job, Job had such beautiful recalibration and transformation. Look what Job says. Yet he knows the way I've taken. When he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. That's a gift. That's what God wants for each and every one of us to emerge as pure gold. And so to our text this morning and the blessing. Each one of us can respond properly to our disappointments with God by applying various truths from God's word. And so we're in chapter three. We're going to look at these 10 verses. But please hear me about the Apostle Paul. He does not write from an ivory tower. Paul's a soldier, he's in the trenches. And he's suffering like a good soldier for Jesus Christ. These words are soldier-like. These words come from a broken man who experienced real pain. Why? It's not ivory tower living. It's not ideas about how to deal with suffering. This guy's in the trenches. And so I want to share with you this morning three biblical responses from 1 Thessalonians 3. Number one, deal with disappointment and pain honestly. And again, we've touched on this a little bit in our life group. Last week, we unpacked this some in our study. But look at the first five verses. In fact, let's stand together. Get your blood flowing. Wake you up if you're uh, zoning a little bit. First five verses. Think about Paul's heart. Think about his passion for this young church. And so here's what he writes. Therefore... When we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And when we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one would be shaken by these persecutions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you previously that we were going to suffer persecution. And as you know, it happened for this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent Timothy to find out about your faith. And notice Paul's biggest concern, guys, and this is a huge concern in ministry, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. 
He was concerned as a father was for his spiritual children, as a mother was for a nurturing infant. His heart was burdened that their confession of faith would bear much fruit for the kingdom and glory of God. Please be seated. Now again, I've shared with you when I read the Bible, I try to read it at face value. I I really um, identify with Paul here. He kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve. His genuine concern for the well-being of these new believers is clear because he's opening his heart. He's opening his life. Twice in this passage, notice what Paul says, we could stand it no longer. What could, they, what could he stand no longer? In chapter 2, verse 17, he talks about being torn away from them. Remember, three weeks, and then they got kicked out of the city, persecution. Three weeks to plant a church. It's unthinkable in our day. You're not even figuring out the demographics. Waukee and community and who lives here and how do you reach out? Paul had three weeks to plant the church. Then he gets booted out and now he's wondering, wow, was our labor fruitful? Will the church continue? Will it testify of the glorious grace of Christ? Now, the Greek word for torn away literally means orphaned. It's an interesting concept, guys. Paul felt like he left the church as orphans, that he abandoned the baby as a mother, that he left the child without mentoring or discipling or tutoring, that he didn't fulfill his ministry. Why? He got pushed out of the city. So he's broken for them. Like a parent, Paul did not sleep well out of concern for the well-being of his children. Although they were out of sight 300 miles away, they were never out of mind. That is why in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, let me show you this. This is the heart of Paul. This is his honesty. This is him wearing his emotions on his sleeve. He says, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, notice the next phrase, but our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Isn't that beautiful? Folks, that's more than just being this hard-charging missionary, sweeping in, preaching Christ, baptizing, and taking off to the next city. This guy's got a pastor's heart. He's concerned. He loves these people. So can I encourage you? So you deal with disappointment, pain, struggle. You know, talking to this gentleman this past week, he was honest. Every day isn't a good day, trust me. There's a lot of tears still. There's a lot of loss and brokenness. But he's honest about it all, both and the good days and the the difficult days. So I would suggest honesty is the foundational response to dealing with our disappointments with God. And we start vertically, and then sometimes we move horizontally. We share our concerns with one another. We bear one another's burdens. We live honestly before the Lord and each other. I want to introduce you to a couple uh, this morning that really ministered to me many years ago and still do today. Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. I don't know if you're familiar with Pete Scazzaro, uh, but let me tell you their story. Church planners in the 80s in New York City. 
So just imagine hard charging, kingdoms coming, great work in New York City. Jerry, Pete's wife, comes to him one day. Just imagine this is Ellen coming to me and saying, you know what, Pete, I no longer can go to your church. And so just imagine the electricity in that conversation that morning. And so they processed, and here's what happened. Jerry told her husband that you're living disgenuine. You're not leading honestly. You're not a man of integrity. And I no longer can follow that kind of leadership, so I'm going to another church. Weird, huh? That was the true conversation. Well, the elders met with this dear couple and gave Pete and Jerry a six-month sabbatical to their credit. Here's what happened, folks. Fast forward. Through that... Pete came back to his church leading out of his brokenness and weakness instead of leading out of his strength and hard-chargedness. He wrote a book that has been transformational for thousands. Maybe you've seen it, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's all about rhythms and and being honest and and dealing with life as it comes. And so, boy, that got traction. Uh, I've read it numerous times, taken staff teams through the book. Then, as a sequel, he wrote Emotionally Healthy Church, helping the church figure out what it means to be honest with God, with each other, as we deal with our pain and struggle. How remarkable. Then, not too long ago, he wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Leadership, and that's gone viral, and his latest book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, is now becoming an international curriculum. How did it all happen, folks? How have thousands, tens of thousands of lives, pastors, ministers, leaders, lives been impacted? One reason, a godly wife was courageous enough to be honest with her husband and say, I can't go to your church anymore until you start living genuinely. Would you agree that crucial conversation probably was pretty hard? But folks, God got his attention. Thank God for the elders who stepped in and worked through it. And now today we have resources that are impacting the kingdom of God in a great way. Paul was honest. I'm broken for you. I'm concerned your faith is going to continue. We were only there three weeks. I'm a father and I feel like I orphaned you. I'm a mother and I didn't even nurture you. Shared his hearts. And he opened the door to great ministry. And so I think there's great lessons for all of us. And the lesson primarily is two things, vertical and horizontal. Trying to be honest with God. God can handle our disappointments. Would you agree? Read the Psalms, folks. Half the Psalms, 150 of them, half of them are Psalms of lament. Crying, brokenness. How about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? I believe the Bible is a trail of tears from Genesis 3 to Revelation uh, 19. Why? There's brokenness, there's pain, there's suffering because of sin. So we're honest to God, and then we're honest to each other, and then we'll see great uh, healing as we deal with our disappointments. Response number two, deal with disappointments and pain in community. And again, this is very encouraging. Look at the text, verses uh, one and two. Paul writes, therefore, 
When we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to do what? To strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith so that no one will be shaken by these persecutions. So by sending Timothy 300 miles to Thessalonica, what is Paul saying? We're going to deal with our concerns. We're going to deal with our brokenness and disappointments. We're going to send our right-hand guy, Timothy, to be a servant to you, to strengthen you, to encourage you in this faith journey. In other words, folks, we need each other. Would you agree? So this morning, the elders showed up uh, quite early, and some of the gals helping us out, just setting up this beautiful, beautiful picnic for the day uh, after worship. Uh, you can't do it alone. This is the body of Christ, right? The hand, the feet, the arms, the ears, the eyes, the nose. We are interdependent and we need each other. Let me show you that from 1 Corinthians 12. Because sometimes we wonder, gosh, Lord, what's my place? Where do I fit? How can I contribute? I promise you this. Just ask any leader and we will share with you how you can contribute. Your time, treasure, talent, touch, there's so much to offer as part of the body of Christ. Here's what Paul says, this beautiful metaphor. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have, what, the same concern for each other. That's what Paul's doing. He's concerned for the Thessalonians he's sending Timothy. So if one member suffers, how do we respond? All the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, this is probably going to be a guy illustration, but girls, some of you like to work with wood and hammer and build and all that. Remember the last time you smashed your thumb or a finger with a hammer? How many of you can remember that? Just, okay, it's just a guy thing. Heath and, yeah, Cheryl, have you done that? Poor Cheryl, yep. Um, I remember we were laying floor at uh, Dartmoor. Heath was a big part of that. It was a big old floor. And we had one of our gals, man, boink. What do you do when you hit your thumb or a finger immediately? I don't know why you do it. You stick your thumb in your mouth. Why do you do that? If you can find the answer, just tell me. But not only that, and I'm not going to stick my thumb in my mouth. That could be pretty weird. But then you start dancing. Right? Cheryl, did you dance? Cheryl's nodding her head. Okay, so we're, we're in sync. What's happening there? One member of the body is suffering, your thumb, your finger, and all of a sudden your mouth is participating, kind of weird, but then your whole body starts to suffer together, absorb the pain. I don't know why you dance, but maybe it just kind of feels better to dance, but that's the picture. Paul was suffering because he was concerned for the spiritual well-being of the church. The Thessalonians were still being persecuted. They needed a minister. They needed Timothy. Let's do body life. So they deploy the right-hand guy, Timothy, to shore up the church in Thessalonica, and they do ministry together. You know, one of the core values of Westwind Church, I want to throw it up there, it's authentic community. And here's what we put on the web and in our literature. Because God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit live in perfect community, Westwind Church purposes authentic relationships. 
Many of you understand what that means. You're in life groups and you do ministries together. You have core teams and in, in, in servant-like ministries and you're just becoming that community, that authentic community. Now, Paul gives two great reasons to live in community. Let's take a look at that uh, uh, real quick. Number one, uh, God provides strength in community. In other words, we're interdependent. We need each other. Look at verse uh, 2 and 3. Paul sent Timothy to do what? To strengthen and encourage. The word strengthen is simply support, establish, to buttress, to sure up. I love the picture in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 23, 15 through 18. Remember David? Saul was jealous of him hated him. Many tribes tried to take his life. Who came alongside as strength and support in David's life? It's remarkable. Let me read this passage. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Friends, that is a beautiful, beautiful concept. Can you imagine fleeing like a fugitive as David did from Saul many times? Who comes alongside and strengthens him in the Lord? Gave him spiritual courage to press on. It was Saul's son, Jonathan. And they made a covenant. Said, listen, my dad knows you're king. It's going to happen. God's on the throne, nobody else. And so he strengthened them. Friends, you and I, living in community, have the privilege to strengthen one another during those difficult and tough times. Let's lean into that. Let's strengthen each other in the Lord. Reason number two, God provides encouragement in in community. So to strengthen and encourage, you've seen this word before. We've talked about parakaleo many times. It's such a beautiful word. It's used of the Holy Spirit. Compound word, parakaleo. Kaleo called, para alongside. It's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He comes alongside as a counselor, teacher, one who convicts, who supports, and we have the same privilege to live like that. And so, When you experience hardship, when you experience pain, when you experience loss and you're going through disappointment with God, where do you turn? Hopefully, there are individuals like Timothy in your life who will strengthen and encourage you. Hopefully, there are individuals like David. Literally, someone's trying to take your life and Saul's son strengthened him in God. And friends, not only having those kind of people, but being those kind of people to others. That's a gift. Now, response three, and we'll tie it all together here. Deal with disappointments and pain biblically. And this one, I think, is the most important, friends, and I I really, please stick with me. Another five minutes, because this has to be captured in a culture that literally despises pain. We have flipped our worldview in the West. You know what we've done? We've gone from a culture of conscience that used to think there was right and wrong, uh, truth and, and error, that's kind of been shelved. Here's what we deal with now. We're a culture that understands pain. There's more pain in Western society than you can imagine. But you know how we deal with our pain? We anesthetize it. 
we move it to pleasure. So anything pleasurable we will do regardless of the morality that it compromises to deal with our pain. That is such antithetical to what the scripture teaches. So what does the Bible say? Let me show it to you. Look at verses three and four. So that no, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, you know quite well that we were destined for them. That's an incredible statement, folks. What Paul is saying is what we talked about last week. Yes, it's God's will that Christians suffer. Amy, who led in worship last week, and we got endeared to Amy over the summer. We spent some time together uh, before she drove off last Sunday, and we processed the talk about disappointment with God. And she shared with me a dream she had, and it was a pretty remarkable dream that just really spoke to her pretty deeply. And she was on a road, and one of the things that God told her as her, her you know, vehicle catapulted off the highway and it looked pretty devastating, the consequences, she said, just because uh, you're on a difficult road doesn't mean you're on the wrong road. And that was a word for her that's etched in her soul forever. Please hear me, that's Christianity. Just because you're on a difficult road, Paul, Timothy, Silas, just because you're thrown in prison, just because you're being flogged, just because Nero's going to take your head off, just because you're on the hard road doesn't mean you're on the wrong road. That's the gospel, folks. And it bears out here. Paul says you were destined for these difficult times. Now, I know that won't preach in a lot of America. But that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what bears out in Scripture. So let me show you a few things. Can I give you two words to summarize Christianity? Two words. The cross and the crown. I believe those are the two words that truly summarize Christianity. Some could say suffering and glory, those work. But the cross and the crown are two words that are true as the air you and I are breathing right now. Let's talk a little bit about the cross. Here's what scripture says. Paul pushes back on this cultural thing of pain converted to pleasure. He says, no, let's accept pain from God. Why? The cross leads to a crown. Suffering leads to glory. So let me show that to you. To the church at Philippi, Paul says this, for it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Jesus, but to also suffer for him. That's the gospel. Please don't forget it. When the hurt, the pain, the struggle knocks on your door. Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, do what with his cross daily? Take it up. And follow me. We know what the cross meant in the first century. It meant suffering. It meant hardship. Carry the cross of Christ. Yes, there's a cross. Now, your cross is different from mine. Mine's different from someone overseas in Africa, Asia, Middle East. But we all have crosses. And when God allows that cross sometimes allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves, what are we going to do with it? Let's carry it. Let's join Christ and go to Calvary. 
That's the gospel, my friends. You won't hear this in a lot of churches these days. You won't read it in the popular books. But it's cross, then crown. It's suffering, then glory. That is the gospel. And so I would contend this morning that Christianity is the only religion and worldview that deals honestly, openly, fairly, and truthfully with the issue of suffering and pain. And it starts all the way back in Genesis 3. If you eat, you'll die. And that's what has happened from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. That's why there's pain and suffering. But guess what? There's redemption. There's glory. There's a crown to come. Let me show it to you. Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is coming back as king of kings, lord of lords, etched on his thigh. He's coming back to rule. A sword is protruding from his mouth, and he's going to reign. And for those who suffer with him, endure the hardship, the pain, the struggle, guess what? We get to experience the crown with him. Let me show that to you. Revelation 2.10, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. This is to the church at Smyrna. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have afflictions for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and what? I will give you the crown of life. Friends, we need a futuristic worldview, not a 70, 80, 90-year worldview. Our moments here on earth are like a vapor here one minute on the next. Paul had an eternal vantage point that allowed him to carry the cross and look forward to the crown. What a gift. So let me show you how chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians ends. It's beautiful. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul's looking to the future. When Jesus returns, three things. I have hope. I have confidence you're going to be faithful to the end. I have joy because he's going to welcome you in. Well done, model church. But then the Stephanus crown. The emperor would award the victor. Well done, good and faithful servant. A crowd is coming. Peter understood this. Let me share it with you. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. Cross to glory. Cross to crown. Peter says, look forward to that day. Share now in his sufferings, and then you'll experience his glory. So the gentleman I spoke with this past week has a journey before him. And he, again, he was very honest, a lot of tears, a lot of difficult days, a lot of hardship. But he knows this, the suffering that he's going to doesn't compare to the glory to come. The cross that he's bearing cannot be compared to the crown that will be awarded on that day. So folks, I don't know your story and all the specifics. Yes, husband and wife, feel free to come up. 
You guys did a great job this morning, by the way. The dynamic duo. Um, I can only assume we all have our story, right? The question is, how will we process? Lean in, grow through, endure. Let God's story be told in the midst of your pain, your disappointment. His kingdom will come, and then look forward to that day. You'll be crowned. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's stand.